0: Hey there, listeners. This is Justin with a quick note before today's episode. Spotify recently allowed users to start leaving reviews for podcasts. And I would greatly appreciate it if you would consider listening to the show on Spotify, leaving us a positive review. I don't even think you have to write anything in. You just get a star rating and that's it. But uh, if you're willing to do that, I would greatly appreciate it. Thanks and enjoy today's show. Welcome back to Beyond the Uniform. I'm Justin Asiri and my goal is to help members of the military community thrive in their post-service career and life. Today is episode number 436, Taking Action with Aaron Hale.
1: I decided then and there that if I was going to be a a blind person for the rest of my life, I was going to be the best darn blind person I could be. I was still a father, I was still a husband, a uh, son, uh, I was still a soldier and sergeant, the EOD team leader until they fired me. And uh, I was going to do everything to the best of my ability. And my number one priority at that moment was learning how to become, you know, how to be this, you know, new me or, uh, you know, learn the skills necessary now to carry on.
0: Well, there are really no words to introduce this interview and I'm so grateful for Steve Bain for making this connection. We'll get into Aaron's story at the start of this episode, but just to jump ahead, he was left blind after an injury in Afghanistan and overcame that and and went on to run marathons and climb mountains and do incredible things and shortly after that contracted bacterial meningitis and became fully deaf in both ears. He is since then gotten implants so he can hear and we have this conversation but he overcame that as well and so i just first of all thought this interview was exceptional cuz Aaron's attitude and honesty comes out throughout the conversation and you have to think of what sort of man could be capable of overcoming two obstacles like that in close succession, it's really inspiring. I think it's easy in these situations to kind of gloss over the darker parts. And I think that Aaron was very forthcoming about the uh, the just incredible challenge that was. And yet, His attitude and his spirit shines through in this conversation in a way that's just absolutely exemplary. He also now runs a company with his wife, Michaela, called EOD Fudge. Their website is EODFudge.com. Before I hung up the phone, I had chosen to purchase $45 worth of fudge that is coming my way. Their website is awesome. You'll hear about, you know, he started his career as a Navy cook actually before being in the explosive ordnance disposal teams. He is putting those cooking skills to great use and more with real estate and other things that he's grown into. So if you're looking for a story of determination, overcoming obstacles, and always taking action, you are in the right spot. With that, let's dive into my conversation with Aaron Hale. Well, joining me today in Santa Rosa Beach, Florida, my guest is Aaron Hale. Aaron, welcome to Beyond the Uniform. So I want to give listeners a quick background on Aaron and special thanks to Steve Bain for connecting us. So Aaron is the CEO and founder at Extraordinary Delights, which we'll talk about on december 8th 2011 army staff sergeant aaron hale was severely injured in afghanistan when an improvised explosive device or ied detonated aaron of the 760th eod or explosive Ordnance disposal served a tour in iraq and two tours in afghanistan the december explosion left aaron completely blind Aaron pressed on and became very involved with organizations who help wounded and disabled veterans get out and be active. Through these organizations, Aaron was able to climb mountains, whitewater kayak, and run five marathons throughout 2015, including the Boston Marathon. In August 2015, Aaron contracted bacterial meningitis. This devastating illness left Aaron completely deaf in both ears. Since the illness, Aaron has regained his love for cooking and began creating in the kitchen again with, with his light wife, Michaela, at his side. The two combined their love for cooking and business experience to bring extra ordinary delights to your door. And I want to put in the start here that that website is eodfudge.com. Let's start with part of your story. And I'm, I'm just kind of, you know, I'm just in awe of you as a human being who have faced so many challenges and overcome them and continue to press on in ways that are just mind-boggling and i'd love to start maybe with what you remember from those events back in december 2011.
1: Well, um, thank you very much for having me on. And I really do also appreciate the, uh, being introduced because now I get to enjoy the other follow- following up on your episodes and catching the <laughs> next one. So thank you. It's great that we both discovered each other. So, a little background on that. I actually started off in the Navy as a cook, and then eight years later, switched over to the Army. And became a bomb tech, which, you know, that's a bit of a course correction. I tell people uh, after I got my first confirmed kill with an egg roll, I
0: decided to start saving lives instead. <laughs> I love that. I didn't realize you started out as a cook. Your return to the culinary field makes more sense now. And that that in and of itself seems like a crazy transition of going from Navy cook, not only switching to the Army, but then going out with uh, EOD teams.
1: Yeah, uh, my first deployment. To Afghanistan, I was actually a, a petty officer in the navy, and I was a cook. And I, went, I actually went from being stationed in Italy and cooking for the commander of the Sixth Fleet in his flag mess to cooking for hundreds of ISAF NATO troops in Afghanistan. And it was definitely that was a just kind of a culture shock too, but an exciting experience all the same. And that's when I met EOD technicians. Now, you know, there's a Great experience right there because I met these guys while they were uh, they had like dumped all of their gear out of their armored truck and they were just doing maintenance checks on bomb suit and robots and mm-hmm. all these other tools and it was like a cool guy garage sale. So <laughs> uh, I, whenever I started a conversation with these guys, learned all about the first responders on the battlefield. These are the guys that had, had make the long walk when towards this danger when everybody else is running away. The tight knit brotherhood and just just the technical aspect of the job. Everything just drew me right to it. So, of course, in the Navy, I, I requested uh, to become a Navy EOD tech, but I guess they liked my cooking too much. So they said, no. When my time in Afghanistan was up, my contract was actually coming to a close, and I had that decision point whether I was going to stay a Navy cook or pursue this new passion to become becoming an EOD tech. So I left the Navy, went over to the Army recruiter, handed him my service record, and changed uniforms. I got trained up, and within about a year and a half or so, I was in Iraq. And then just a, a year after returning from Iraq, I was back in Afghanistan, and that was 2011. I'd spent about eight months of a 12-month rotation in this raid district, not too far outside of Kandahar. And while I was there, we'd done we were a very busy time. Lots of IEDs all over the place. Uh, we were doing post-blast analysis uh, when we don't get there uh, before the boom. And unfortunately, I saw a lot of, a lot of people uh, injured. Mm-hmm. Um, but thankfully, we got a, a quite a bit of these IEDs uh, off the battlefield. Uh, before they could do any harm Mm. unfortunately late november uh died well the fortunate part uh, before being injured was that i got to spend two weeks in back at home for thanksgiving slash my son's first birthday uh family reunion and it was a great time two weeks of R&R back home to watch my my firstborn son have his first birthday mm. and get to bring all the family together for my favorite holiday Thanksgiving. And it's my favorite because, you know, one, it's just a holiday spent meant for gratitude. And two, it's a great excuse to just eat like a glutton.
0: Uh, so. <laughs> Would you always get roped into cooking on that one?
1: Oh, always, always, yeah. <laughs> always. Uh, but I tell you what, that was a great last page in the, the photo album because mm-hmm. I got back into, into action and almost as soon as I'd gotten back into theater, I was back at work with my team and j- actually on the way from the airfield to my command outpost, where my team was. My team picked me up. We jumped into a convoy, and along the way, there was a call. There was a report of an IED on the uh, by the roadside. So we got to work, and the robot had this uh, very rudimentary IED pressure plate um, and jug of homemade explosive and a nine volt battery, and they had it all taken apart. But when I go uh, begin my approach. To pick up the evidence and dispose of the rest. Unfortunately, there was a a secondary device that hadn't been detected yet. And that's what uh, took my eyesight. Knocked me into uh, the the air, I landed on my knees and elbows, and the lights had gone out. And I thought that my helmet had gotten pushed over my face, uh, but truth was uh, something completely different. Because when I reached up to adjust my helmet, it, it, was, it was gone. And That's when I thought, oh, no, this is really bad. The Army is going
0: to want that back.
1: Anyways, uh, I got sent back to uh, Walter Reed uh, within about 48 hours, and I was learning how to be a blind guy.
0: I'm just trying to put myself in that position. I just can't imagine just the the sudden shift there and just the realization of the permanence of this change in your life. As you made that journey to learning to be a blind person, like having your identity changed, like what gave you the energy to keep moving forward? I just see myself just wallowing in so much self-pity and just just Stopping, and I'm just kind of curious how you kept moving forward.
1: I would be lying if I I, uh, told you it didn't happen to me. But it took a while to sink in because it was so so fast. It was instant. Uh, And all of a sudden, I was blind. Mm -hmm. And then there's all this. Turmoil, the havoc of medevac choppers and gurneys and uh, hospital to hospital and flights across the Atlantic and Walter Raid, and then there's nurses and doctors and surgeries and paperwork because it's the army. uh But every once in a while, I have time to myself, and I, I call them the, the my demons. Those what ifs, whymes, uh, you try to creep in, and the first thing. That saved me from spiraling was, of course, my family. My mom is as much a warrior as I'll ever be. Uh, she, she's in an, and just um, an eternal optimist and seasoned at this kind of thing because my brother had a traumatic injury years mm-hmm. before me, not in service, but uh, a terrible traffic accident that left him permanently um disfigured and disabled so she came into the hospital saying this wasn't my my you know first rodeo and also I was at Walter Reed and up and down these halls were warriors people fighting their own battles and it, you, you know men and women brothers and, and sisters in arms that were just going through so many different changes and so many different uh, difficulties you know, that probably you'll know, pale in comparison to what I was going through. And I couldn't let them down. Uh, I couldn't let my family down. I decided then and there that if I was going to be a a blind person for the rest of my life, I was going to be the best darn blind person I could be. I was still a father. I was still a husband, uh, son. Uh, I was still a soldier and sergeant, the EOD team leader until they fired me and I was going to do everything to the best of my ability and my number one priority at that moment was learning how to become you know to be this you know new me or you know learn you know the skills necessary now to carry on.
0: That's I mean I love that. I love the determination and the resetting after this like unbelievable reorientation of just finding the the way to be the best that you can be. And I see that from the, the little bit of your story that I've seen, where you go on to climb mountains and whitewater kayak and things that, you know, many of us haven't done. It's just wild. And like, how did that come about this outdoor kind of endurance focus?
1: I guess overcompensation. Uh, for one it was actually fleeing one of my greatest fears was Mm -hmm. being stuck on the couch feeling sorry for myself Mm -hmm. maybe diving into a bottle or popping pills Mm -hmm. uh, for the rest of my life until a very slow or a very swift death and we hear stories about that all the time and I was terrified of becoming one of those statistics. So um, the first thing I did was, uh, as soon as I learned how to use my adaptive telephone and computer, I was doing text to speech. Yeah, I, I was searching the internet and I was typing in searches for blind plus outside, blind plus running, blind plus you name it. Mm-hmm. And a few names kept popping up. One was uh, Eric Weinmayer, who's the first blind person to climb. Um,
0: Mount
1: Everest. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I, I, I sought him out. And I went mountain climbing with him. On the 10th anniversary of climbing Mount Everest, he actually took an all-wounded veteran team up a, the sister summit, Lavashe, to of Everest. And then that turned into a program. So in 2013, I joined an all-wounded veteran team up a mountain in the Peruvian Andes. And another name kept popping up was Lonnie Bedwell. And he's a, a Navy veteran. Um, you know, he'll tell you that um, he didn't lose his eyesight in service. He, he was out hunting and his friend Dick cheney him. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he is the first blind person to kayak the entire span of uh, length of the Grand Canyon. So I sought him out. And I went kayaking with them. And I, uh, in order to get prepared for these types of things, I had to make sure I was in shape. And of course, it's really hard to find a decent mountain to to practice on in Florida. So (laughs) I started running. Uh, I started. I, I would I would take an expedition pack and I would go to the tallest condominium building and just go up and down the stairs, mm. uh, over and over again with a hundred pound pack. And in the process of getting ready for these you know major events, the running kind of turned into a passion of its own. And before I knew it, I'd actually registered for four marathons before having run, uh, anything longer than a 10 K
0: <laughs> that's awesome. That right there might be the best encapsulation of the man that I know Aaron Hale to be <laughs> the man who signs up for four marathons before running a 10 K. I love it. Uh, all within four months too. Uh, so
1: <laughs> it was just, it was another blind service member who actually got his commission, uh, in the Rangers, Army Rangers, uh, After going blind, I believe. Mm. Ivan Castro, every year he's, I was talking to him, every year he said he he always made it a point to run the Marine Corps Marathon, the Army 10 miler, and the Air Force Marathon. Mm. I thought, That sounds like a great idea. I'll do that too. And I signed up for all those. (laughs) And then somehow I got talked into uh, the San Antonio Rock and Roll Marathon, and the local one, the Pensacola Marathon. So four marathons and a 10-miler. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I I better get ready for this. Mm -hmm. I just started training.
0: I love to think that as you, you know, you mentioned these people like Lonnie and Ivan, I love that, um, one, I love that you just sought out of, you know, examples like Lonnie of people who had achieved great things despite being blind and you you sought them out and you you saw that they did and you, you emulated that. What I love even more is the the number of people I know who are out there and will be out there that will be citing you and like all of these things that you have been doing. There is a story five years from now where someone's talking on a podcast and talking about how they saw Aaron Hale doing these great things. And that gave them the courage to go on. So I just, I think it's awesome to see the example that you're setting, both in seeking out those mentors, but also in in becoming a role model in and of yourself.
1: Part of that is that my my life just doesn't belong to me. Everything I do, and I was talking about becoming one of those statistics that would have, that kind of decision would have to be done by committee. I've got three boys now, mm-hmm. wife. I love All of them dearly, you know, mother and father, brother and sister, and all of them have stake in my life and I have stake in theirs. Becoming the best me for all of them and to carry, to tell the story and to carry on and make the story the best I could possibly be is an ethical imperative, Mm. is a moral imperative. I have to for
0: them. I love that. I love that perspective. And as I was learning about your story prior to to connecting today, the thing that just really floored me was to, to see a man who you overcame this major obstacle that honestly, many people would not overcome in the way that you have. And I feel like for me, when I was reading your story, that the most devastating part is then hearing in August, 2015, when you contract bacterial meningitis. And I just... I can't imagine having your life back, achieving these things, and then being dealt just as equally a devastating blow. And I'm, I'm just kind of curious how you, again, you just, you know, you put on this 100-pound pack and you overcame it. And I'm, I'm just floored that not just once, but twice you came back from what would have been a knockout punch for most people.
1: First off, uh, nobody told me I wasn't, supposed to do that. Uh, I, um, <laughs> and I definitely credit the the military. My service, my training, my experiences overseas and here at home, you know, the examples of uh, the fellow service mem- members. I, I love how uh, General Mattis said it in Call Sign Chaos. He said that at least in the Marines, I, I screw up quotes, things being hard was never a good reason for mission failure. And me being blind, just I was me blind. Mm. So I had to continue being me. You know, I've learned these statistics years later after losing my sight that, you know, 70% of people who are blind and visually impaired are unemployed or underemployed mm. and, and it blows me away and then i just randomly i joined like a facebook group for blind and visually impaired like a support network to ask some technical questions just to, to figure things out and the, the comments on there so they're actually very sad mm. and I'm like you, it's it's up here it's, it's it's all up in your head it's all mindset and this is the whole thing is that it's not about the, why this is happening to me It's more about asking why is this happening for me Mm. or what can I learn from this? Mm -hmm. Actually, that's a, great thing to uh, thank
0: you for is that I
1: just bought that 12 Commitments of Conscious Cons- Leadership.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's so uh, funny. I just connected with the author earlier this morning who I'm going to have, one of the authors who I'm going to have on the show, I believe um, a couple episodes after this. I'm so... <laughs> but I also feel like this is revealing that you heard that episode and you purchased that book. Like you are a man of action. You are <laughs> you are this unstoppable force of forward progress.
1: I think it's, it's fantastic. And you could probably put Put anything at the end of the twelve commitments of conscious, you know, fatherhood, you know, husband, yep. you know, you could, you know uh, life. Because uh, if, for one, like Jocko uh, Willick said, so the extreme ownership, you've got radical responsibility. And I took responsibility for my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't want to be a victim. I didn't want that victim mentality. I just just wanted to live the best life life I could. Unfortunately, you know, I got the meningitis happened and I got knocked down again. And yeah, the demons tried to get in again. Mm. I was was sitting at my breakfast bar, totally deaf, totally blind, and so isolating and so lonely being trapped in your body. My whole world ending in my fingertips. Mm. And for over six months, Uh, was not a very happy guy. Mm -hmm. Um, It's hard to get out of your head when that's all you got. During that time, I thought, man, it would have been really good if I burned Braille by technology. <laughs> but that's when I started cooking. I went back to my well, old passion of cooking and it was Thanksgiving time again. Mm. And it was something to do, right? It was something to keep me busy. And that was the first thing, action. Just move, do something, don't sit there. And then, and I mean, for so long, I was thinking, why me, right? Again? When have I paid my fair share? Right, yeah. when have, uh, this soldier paid his dues, yeah. but that's, that's that victim thing, and it was self inward focus, and I needed to focus on something else. So mm-hmm. I just started cooking, and I was we threw this huge huge feast. We invited the, the family from all over the country. We invited uh, our friends and neighbors. We we were close to the EOD school. That's how I ended up here. And we actually invited a few of the uh, students. Yeah, you know, sometimes the younger guys get stranded on base during the holidays just because they don't have the leave days or money saved up. And that's cool, but nobody wants to be on an empty base during the holidays. So we invite a few of them to, and join in our table. And I started cooking like weeks in advance. I was making... <laughs> I was making cakes and pies and cookies and all this stuff, and I, I was I was doing the batch after batch of fudge. I mean, I was doing, like had this one fudge recipe, but you just change the flavors and ingredients and stuff. And I would do a batch, and I'd set it aside, and I'd like throw some spices or some nuts, and you know, go to the liquor cabinet, um, a little for you, a little for me. And and Michaela, my girlfriend at the time, now wife, uh, noticed two things. One, something she said she hadn't seen like six months was a smile on my face. And then two, the fudge was piling up. (laughs) So uh, she gave it away. I say she was like, she snuck it out the front door and was giving it away. But how stealthy do you have to be around a blind deaf guy? And people started coming back and asking for more. And boom, a business was born and it snowballed really quickly.
0: I love that. And one of the things I loved when I was reading about this is when I put together Extraordinary Delights, EOD. I just love the tie back in to to some of your roots with the explosive ordnance disposal and almost like a reclaiming of that. I, I think that's just beautiful. What was the time span when you contracted the meningitis? How long was it until you got your implants?
1: It took time because first it had, the infection had to clear up. Mm -hmm. That was like a month or more. And then they would do both ears, but one at a time. And I'm really impatient, uh, Mm -hmm. but they went with the more damaged ear because the blast came from my my right side. Uh, So they did the implant and then you got to wait a couple of weeks for the site to heal. Then they put this uh, processor on and this is the external device. This is like just the listener, you know, there's the microphones and the processor and it sends the signal from a magnet see right now I'm totally tuned out to the magnet and to the implant inside and they did that on this side and what they found out was dude, the damage was too extensive and it wouldn't work they cranked up the power they got on this thing uh, over on this side to max output and it was just like a little bit of static mm-hmm. uh, but the funny thing was if there was like a loud clap or loud laughter or noise or something the power would be great enough to actually stimulate my my cheek muscles so I could hear a little static, but I could definitely, every time my uh, mom and my girlfriend would laugh, I would stop it, stop it, <laughs> but, uh, and twitch. Then they had to start the whole process over on the other side. And there's a whole series of turning it on, tuning it in. And it's like hitting a bullet with a bullet. As they're tuning it in mm. for my brain to hear, my brain is actually learning a new way to decipher this, this wow. electric signal, new way to hear, right? It's, it's complete. it's not truly like hearing. Um, so it's, it's kind of like ter- calling a friend and it's at a restaurant and the friend puts it on uh, speaker mode and just leaves it in the middle of the table. That's kind of how my world sounds mm-hmm. through wow. this thing. It's, don't get me wrong, it's way better than the alternative, but it's yeah. nothing like the real thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's definitely better than the alternative.
0: Well, I think that's incredible. I know we only have a couple minutes left, but I want to make space. I, I would just love to learn more about what you're up to now, eodfudge.com and you know, just kind of where you're putting your energy these days.
1: After the illness, I actually not only lost my hearing, but I lost my inner ear sense of balance. Mm. So I that was I came home in a wheelchair, and then I was uh, finally got on my feet and was using the trekking poles to get uh, that I used in the mountains just to get down to the mailbox and back. Mm. Eventually, I got back to running, and within a year of the meningitis, ran another marathon and PR'd and qualified for Boston again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, although uh, they have different standards for blind guys. <laughs> Anyways, I'm t- now training for my second 100 miler. We, we've been having some success with our candy business and we've started following other passions by like investing in real estate. And I just started a real estate business in Pensacola, Florida, investing in single family and small multifamily homes with a fellow wounded veteran and Navy buddy. And of course, I love spending time with my family and work out of the house. And whenever I can, I speak across uh, the country, uh, telling telling you know, our wild story and hopefully motivating others.
0: I love it, man. I am so in awe of the determination, the attitude, the perspective. And I also appreciate the honesty of, of knowing that of course, you know, there was that six month period of just feeling downtrodden with, with the giant. Like, I appreciate the candor there where it's like, yeah, these are like really big blows. But what I admire most is the man who climbed out of that and the man who persisted and so grateful for your example to me to our audience and to to so many people and I'm so excited to hear you know that EOD Fudge is doing well and you know I I have the website pulled up right now and it's going to be a difficult decision but I'm going to be purchasing an item right after this and just so happy to hear your message and to know that you are encouraging me and many many people because you know your your service your active service of continuing On. And so I'm so grateful for that. And I'm appreciating your taking time to speak with me today. And I just want to make space in this last couple minutes here. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you want to make sure listeners know before we wrap up?
1: Yeah, you know, there's that duality of being a leader and a follower, being um, taking action and education. And what I've found is that we don't need it for anything, like taking action on your next. Enterprise, whatever that is, uh, whether it's it's climbing mountain or you know white water kayaking or you know starting a business, there's uh, an education side and then there's an the action side and wisdom is at the junction of education and experience. So you don't have to know everything. I love how Colin Powell is like the 40-70 rule. You know, you only need about 40 to 70 uh, percent of the, the information to make a decision and then move forward. And I know everybody gets stuck in that quagmire. Like I'll 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 do it when I'm a little bit better at knowing what I'm doing. Don't wait. Do something small right now, today. Uh, get out there because it might be, you know, my fear of being stuck on on that couch. But the truth is the, the the other side, that duality, is is that I want my parents to be proud of me. I want my wife to be proud of me. I want my kids to be proud of me. I want me to be proud of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just implore people: if there's something you've been putting off, take action. Do it right mm-hmm.
0: now. I love it. Aaron, thank you so much for your time today. And for listeners at beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find show notes for this episode. We'll have a bunch of links in there, but one of them is eodfudge.com. Would encourage you to go there, check it out. You'll see more about Aaron's story there. And you can also get an amazing, <laughs> the photos are absolutely unbelievable. You have a, an amazing assortment of great things to check out there. So check that out at eod fudge.com. Thank you so much, Aaron. Oh, thank you, Justin. Surface, surface, surface. Beyond the Uniform is written and produced by me, Justin Asiri, with the help from our chief of staff, Steve Bain, our editor, Lex Brown, and our head of social media, Janelle Hanf. We are an all volunteer organization and would greatly appreciate your help in any of the following ways. First of all, spread the word. Beyond the Uniform has over 380 podcast episodes and 15 on-demand webinars, all offered for free. Help us spread the word on social media, at military bases, or whatever gets this resource in front of the men and women who need it. Positive reviews on iTunes go a long way towards this as well. Second of all, sponsorship. Beyond the Uniform relies on sponsorship to keep us going. There is so much more we'd like to do, but just don't have nearly the resources to do it. If you know of a company that would advertise in any way with Beyond the Uniform, please send them our way. Third of all, donations. If you're in a financial position to donate, you can find more information on the support section of our website. At our website, beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find over 380 episodes categorized by industry, functional role, and more. You'll also find both free and for-purchase resources that take a deeper dive on topics related to career growth. Thank you for your support as we aim to help members of the military and their families thrive in their post-military career and life.